Hello, my lovely ones, and welcome to Mumming with Magli, the podcast for any mum who has absolutely no idea what the fuck she's doing. I'm Magli, your host, and I can confirm I have no idea what I'm doing. Join me every week as I try and tackle this parenting business, the ups and downs, and the many trials and tribulations. Other moms will also join us and share their story. Let's open up the conversation around the hardships of motherhood and all the pressure that comes with it. Hopefully, it'll make us all feel less alone in feeling lost and completely winging it. I know I am. Enjoy, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And we're back, 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 back again, again, again. Candy is our beautiful guest today. I met Candy in India. We actually did our yoga teacher training together back in the day. And it was so nice to reconnect and learn more about her journey. Because isn't it funny, you assume certain things unless you get told otherwise, right? And I just had not anticipated her trying to conceive journey. Candy, thank you so, so much for sharing. It was so insightful. In the episode, she talks us through her journey with IVF. Oh my goodness, so interesting, honestly. And we also talk a lot about mindfulness and rewiring the brain in moments of negative thinking and also share our biggest struggles and moments of shame. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Ciao. Hi. (laughs) You okay? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. It's nice to see you. It's nice to see you too. It's been forever. Okay. I'm just closing all my windows. Gosh, I'm also someone with so many windows <laughs> all the time, a million tabs. And George always makes fun of me for it. But then I think maybe this is a little insight into how like mom's brains work. We just yeah. have so many things we need to think about, but it never gets done. And we can't close them because we need reminders. Oh, hi, 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 and welcome. Oh, thank you. So introduce yourself and yeah, share what you're going through, what's present for you at the moment. Okay. So my name is Candy. I'm a mother of one. I have a little boy named James who's almost two um, and he's a wild one, which is, which is fun most days. can be exhausting some days. I live in Belgium and I'm married to an Australian. And yeah, we, I've lived in a lot of different countries. So when I was pregnant with James is when we moved back to Belgium. And it was first, first off, just myself and then my husband. And I'll tell you more about that later. But to finish my introduction, I'm 32. And I, at the moment, manage a little Airbnb cabin. And I teach yoga, including prenatal yoga. So that's, that's been the fun challenge of this year. Okay. How have you found motherhood? Um, A bit overwhelming and at the same time, so much love, I think are the main things, but definitely overwhelming. And it's difficult to pinpoint the transition just to motherhood for me, because my entire life was a big transition at that moment, since it's the time that we chose to move back to Europe. Um, But it happened in two stages because I felt pregnant in Doha, and it was actually an IVF pregnancy, which we'll, we might get into later. Yeah, no, I'm interested because actually I was going to ask if it was planned. Yeah, it was very much planned, a bit too planned for my liking. But um, so I, I started the pregnancy in Doha and COVID happened at the same time. So I was living there. I lived there for four years with, with Matt, my husband. So 
we decided our next move would be back to Europe and in the hopes of starting a family and being a bit closer to, to my parents. And so once I was pregnant and then COVID happened, Matt being a pilot, he was never there. I was basically alone in Qatar and quite isolated from my friends because everybody was locked up in their house. Mm. And I just thought if anything happens and I'm alone, pregnant with the dog, I don't really want to be here. Um, so I'll try to fly back to Europe as soon as I can, which I ended up doing via Germany. So that was a whole other journey with the dog and as much luggage as I could, knowing I, I wouldn't go back. So as soon as the borders opened, I flew back with with the dog and all the luggage and and I was 19 weeks pregnant and I moved back with my parents so after 10 years of living everywhere in the world I moved back to living with them with a dog a baby in the belly and a husband who would a year later join us and I was head in the clouds thinking COVID was just not really happening. And I was like, ah, yeah, okay, it's, it'll be done. By September, it's going to be done. And when I moved, it was June. So I was hoping Matt would be able to visit when he had time off. And he ended up not being able to come back until I gave birth in November. So almost the entire pregnancy, well, yeah, after 19 weeks was without him wow. and living with my parents. And I remember thinking like I was so free before and then I got locked down living with my parents with no car, no house, no work, no job, like just really from feeling really independent. I, I felt really dependent on every level and it was really, that was really hard. And then um, Matt finally was able to travel in November. It was also a little bit difficult. I was trying to tell baby to stay in my belly as long as he could for, for his dad to arrive. And he ended up, um, his birth was a week early, which was nice because Matt had just arrived. And so Matt was able to stay with us for a month after the birth before going back to Qatar for work, still living with my parents. So just, it's a big house. We had our little independence within the house, but it's still very different. Like we weren't able to have a family balance Okay. until a week ago when we finally moved into our own house <laughs> so it took a long time that's almost two years of it's, not really yeah, over two years of me living with my parents over a year of Matt living with us with my parents and um so James actually grew up in a house with his grandparents <laughs> so still now it's funny because he doesn't do it so much but at first he was just screaming around like mamu papu which are his grandparents like wondering where they are and uh so we had to show him like okay this is your new house gradually we would we did the renovation work ourselves which is why it took so long um but it enabled for a smoother transition because we would come every week with james and he would see the progress of the, of the work being done and so now we're finally in the house and even after a week it already feels like the family unit is a bit tighter like i really lost touch with my husband for a long time yeah i can imagine in all sense of the word yeah, I can, I can only imagine. It's funny because I'm in the UK in England, but my family is in France and Switzerland. And I was the opposite. I didn't spend any time. My mum never saw me pregnant. Oh my gosh. Because I mine was also a COVID pregnancy. So I felt so isolated. Um, and it's funny in my head, I think, you know, oh, I wish, you know, I'd been able to spend more time with them and potentially had more help because I was just mm -hmm. alone. 
but I can only imagine that living, going back to live with your parents has its own set of struggles. Yeah, I mean, especially because it, it was amazing for the help and there's always two sides, you yeah. know, everything. And so obviously for, for the help that I got from my mom and for the support, which I still continue to get, we're only 20 minutes away from, from them. Oh, nice. um, yeah, it's, it's really nice and it's priceless to have that. But at the same time, like when you're, when you're becoming a mom, there's already so much going through your head. And if on top of that, you, you don't, you don't feel any independence. It's quite hard. It's just the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. A hundred, a hundred percent. But I, I, I guess the pressure also just came from me, like just feeling inadequate that as an adult, having a baby, you should be a little bit more independent, at least in our Western society, because I know it's not the case for all, for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, it's in some countries you do have like full support from your family to the point that the mother doesn't really take care of the baby the first weeks because she just needs to rest. And that's Mm -hmm. how it is. Mm -hmm. So I know it varies for me, like a couple of weeks would have been nice. Um, a couple of years, maybe not, but <laughs> so anyway, but that's, yeah, the, this is that. And I, I, we're closing that chapter as of last week. So that's exciting. Exciting. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. And how have you found, I'm personally particularly interested in this actually, because my partner George is currently training to become an airline pilot. Wow. Yes. Um, how have you found that distance, I guess, because inevitably they're Mm -hmm. not present, um, as much or not necessarily as much, but for big chunks of time, Mm -hmm. you know, at a time they're they're not here. How have you found that? It's a different lifestyle and it's a different balance, like relationship balance. And for Matt and I, we met and he was already a pilot. So Mm. for the entire, well, almost the entire length of our relationship, this is how we've lived it. And when I, when we first met in Hong Kong, I was working full time and he was a pilot, not flying much. So actually he would be hanging out, playing rugby with his mates. He was part of the Hong Kong football club. So he was always doing things. And then I'd come home and I was like, ah, what have you done all day? And he he still got paid, like, because whether he flew or not, he would still get his salary. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was, that was the first uh, part of our relationship. And then because he wasn't getting enough flying hours and he was essentially getting a bit bored, we decided to move and he applied for the Middle East. And I had told him, let's move anywhere you want in the world. I'll follow you, just not the Middle East. I was a bit reserved about going there, but then he found a job in Qatar and when I saw the conditions, I was like, okay, let's try it. To continue your initial question of how it is to, to balance the relationship with a dad that's far away, he was completely gone for the rest of the pregnancy until the weekend after the birth. He came back on a Wednesday, I think, and James was born the following Tuesday. I did um, an, a yoga nidra for mothers and I told James, okay, you can come now, your dad's here. And that night I got contractions my waters broke and then he was born the following day on the Tuesday yeah (laughs) but um and then Matt was there for a month and then left again so it, it was just me taking care of James for the first six months of his life more or less Matt flew in a couple of times, but he didn't really have the time to come back to Europe in in between flights. And he was was just working as much as possible until the end of his contract. And he found another job in Luxembourg. And so once he found that job, we kind of relaxed. We knew that he was going to move back eventually. We knew that we were going to settle in Europe. 
We bought a house, which happened to be my grandma's former house, had to kick out the tenants, which took a little while and then start renovations, which is why everything took so long. And um, Matt started working a year ago in Luxembourg, but in parallel started having um, cardiac problems. (laughs) And so he ended up having to stop flying, had four operations and then lost his job and is now in Belgium doing renovation work with my dad. Um, and he's about to apply for more aviation jobs because his heart is now better. But although it's not a life-threatening condition, it's um, in aviation, everything has to be perfect on your medical. Mm-hmm. And that's where like the hard thing is, is like he really defines himself as a pilot and he's not really a pilot anymore. Like it's been a year since he's flown. So we've had like life through everything at the same time. Um, but I think we're figuring it out little by little. Yeah. <laughs> at least we're in our own house, like I was saying now, and then I can start focusing on giving more yoga classes or doing more Air- Airbnb things. We'll, we'll figure that out. Yeah. How have you found it, you know, for yourself to be, I guess, somewhat solo parenting for for the first part of James's life um I liked it like I liked the bonding and I felt like he was so little that actually the father had less he had an important role obviously and that's why we traveled to go see him in Qatar when James was two months we went to Qatar for a month and lived in a hotel and had to do the one-week quarantine in the hotel with baby and stuff like that so obviously like the fathers do have an important role especially like to support the mom I think Mm-hmm. in the beginning yeah. but I think the first six months of life the baby's so dependent on the mother still that the dad has a bit of a secondary role mm-hmm. and so for me it was fine to also I wasn't alone since I was in my parents home and you know I was never eating meals alone there was always family around it's a busy household so there's always people who come and go so I wasn't oh, isolated nice. in that sense yeah. and I was fine like my role was really just take care of the baby yeah I wasn't working so that's all I did Mm -hmm. and it was actually hard to adapt to being with Matt all the time because we were so used to being apart and we could go for 20 days without seeing each other and then he'd come back for three four days and then go again like that was kind of our life and so we had a bit like parallel lives and when he came back we tried to do stuff with friends I found that the hardest thing was the social life because we didn't have a combined social life anymore I had my Mm. friends whom I would see when their husbands were away and then you know Matt would hang out with his pilot friends when they were there. And so we sometimes mixed, but not that much. So I found that that was the difficult part for us was the, the social social life. And it still is because Matt obviously has to build his friendships here in Belgium now. Yeah. And for us really going from not seeing each other a lot to being all the time together was a lot. But I think <clears throat> it's going to be better now that we're in our own home, at least, because the balance is kind of coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I relate to that in a different way, but um, it's true. When you live with someone and then you have a baby, you have this sort of pressure, I think, to be together all the time. And now we're trying to make conscious efforts to do things separate yeah because it's a lot and I think sometimes you know you feel like you should spend your time with your partner you know all the time and the baby like oh family time all the time but oh 
you're still you're still your individual person and i think and it depends how you define yourself but like obviously your profession is a big one your family okay. is another one but then you need friends that are your own friends and you need hobbies and i mean my dad always used to say it stuck with me this was a long time but he said you need more than two legs to stand on you know you need at least three that way if one breaks you still got two and you're mm -hmm. not left kind of wondering what you're doing in life mm -hmm. and who you are because you've got multiple things that you can kind of root in how have you found the transition then because considering that you were james's you know solo mm -hmm. parent for a long time how have you found um finding those other legs of yours mm, i'm still trying to figure it out <laughs> it's um it's been a long journey and i think for me i like my attention was baby and focusing on getting our house ready so any free time I had. So whenever it was James, James was in daycare because he did go um, and goes a couple of times a week, I would just go in the house and do some work in there. And that was just where I put my energy. And then I, I developed the, the yoga class. Um, it's been over a year now that I've been doing it because I felt that I needed to do something just for me, even if it wasn't necessarily for the money because you don't really earn much as a yoga teacher, but I felt I need something that brings me back to my former life before I had a child. And the only thing that was accessible to me was the teaching, teaching mm -hmm. the yoga classes. And so that's what I started with. And so I thought, okay, that I'm reconnecting a little bit with who I used to be before I had James. And then I started teaching the prenatal and I love it. They want to just spend a bit of time for them and for their baby. So most of them, I think, enjoy the pregnancy, but they just want to relax and they want to find ways to just release tension, to bond with their baby if they're not really able to bond and and to move. And then there's the whole community aspect and, and meeting other moms. And they're always chatting in the hallway after class and before. So they do build a, a little relationship, even if it's superficial, just during the time that they meet at these classes. I, I feel it gives them at least... 75 minutes a week of just taking care of them without having to worry about anything else. So it's kind of a, a moment in time that doesn't need to be counted so yeah. much. I think there's really something to be said for superficial relationships. I think they're really underestimated and mm -hmm. it makes such a difference. You know, when I walk around the town, I walk the dog and, oh, hi, good morning. You know, the puppies like say hi to each other. You know, you go to the coffee shop and you get your coffee and you say hi, you know, you meet the same waitress yeah. and things like that. And so, yeah, it it's so important. And I think especially in pregnancy, I mean, obviously, I don't know these women, I know that personally, I didn't have a big circle of pregnant friends. No, exactly. So it depends. Some of them might, but not all. Some of them are going on their third baby. And maybe they're a bit older and none of their friends are having kids or, or vice versa. And, and I think it gets, it quickly gets boring for friends who are not pregnant to always constantly talk about pregnancy. So I think there they feel like, oh, we can talk about it without, yeah. you know, feeling like we're bothering somebody or chewing someone's ear off. Does it ever make you wish you were pregnant again? Because I teach, I teach pre and postnatal as well. And oh my goodness, every time I see a woman pregnant, I think, oh, I want to be pregnant again. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do want to be pregnant again. So that's, <laughs> that's another story. Oh, okay. Good. Amazing. I can't wait to hear, I can't wait to hear everything. <laughs> But, um, you know, 
because I've had a bit of a journey to get to to my first pregnancy, I I stopped taking the birth control pill, thinking, ah, that way, if it takes a couple of years, I'm not stressing about it. And six months later, um, I was pregnant. So it took a while. I just felt sick and pukey during my yoga classes. And I was like, oh my gosh, could I be pregnant? I was like, this is crazy. And it's funny because I had just started kind of looking at this app to calculate cycles and see where you're at in your okay. cycle. And I was like, oh, I know we did have sex during my ovulation period. And then I took a pregnancy test and it was positive. So it's like, okay, deep breaths. It's happening sooner than planned. I mean, I guess it's a good thing. Um, and of course, at the appointment, I was all like excited. And then the doctor told me this is in Qatar, in Doha. Ah, oh, like I, I'm not seeing anything on the scan. You're probably not as far along as you think. And I can't see it yet. And so I said, that's weird. And very impossible because I wrote down exactly when we had sex. I'm using this new app. And so I know when I was ovulating and I know when we had intercourse and my husband's a pilot, so he's not there much. So I, I think I'm, I have it right. You know, I should be about, I think it was six, seven weeks. So you should see something. And she said, just come back in two weeks and I'm sure we'll, we'll see it by then. And so I went home, <clears throat> Matt was away. And I thought, this is weird. Like I just had this bad feeling. So I started researching and I found that if you don't see a sack at X amount of weeks, I forget now exactly how many a possibility is an ectopic pregnancy, which I have never even heard about before. For just other people that might be listening that aren't mm -hmm. sure what an ectopic pregnancy, mm -hmm. um, do you want to tell us what that is? Yeah, of course. So there's different kinds, but the most common ectopic pregnancy is when the embryo attaches in the fallopian tube instead of in the uterine wall. So instead of implanting in your uterus, in your womb, it implants earlier. And so it's in the fallopian tube, which is really, really thin. It's like a hair. And so the pregnancy is not viable because as soon as it starts growing, you'll get excruciating pain. And then there's a risk of, of it breaking the tube and internal bleeding. And that's why it's usually considered an emergency. Well, it is an emergency because if it causes internal bleeding, you have to get surgery right away to stop the bleeding. And the most common type is in the fallopian tube, but there are so many different types. There's been pregnancies with people having it on their bladder and all kinds of things. Um, but in my case, it was... A very, very rare type of ectopic pregnancy. It was in the upper right corner of the uterus um, muscle, which meant that it had space to actually grow for a lot longer before rupturing anything, but which also meant that if it did rupture, it could cause severe internal bleeding, which wouldn't be stopped. And therefore you had to remove the entire womb, ovaries and everything to, to be able to stop the, the bleeding. So I did a lot of research when I got home that day after my first scan. I saw that an ectopic pregnancy was a thing. And so when my husband came home from his flight a few days later, I told him, look, good news, I'm pregnant. Bad news before you get excited is I, I just have a feeling something's wrong. Like my, you know, according to my timing, you should be able to see the pregnancy by now. And the doctor wasn't able to see it. So oh my goodness, sorry to interrupt, but you did the first scan and everything just, mm -hmm. just by yourself. Yeah. 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 And then, um, yeah, I guess, sorry, it doesn't even phase me anymore because I did all my scans by myself. I, yeah. I think Matt was there for one scan and that felt weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we went back for a scan 
together um, before he flew. So we booked in for the next day or something because I just didn't want to leave it for two weeks. And then I, I'm glad I did because then the, the professor of that clinic, which is a, a fertility clinic, came in and said, okay, this is like a textbooks um, case. You need to go to the emergency right now. You're going to get surgery. And then poor Matt is sitting next to me and he's like, oh, they're just going to move it back in the womb then. And... <laughs> And I'm like, no, Matt, they're going to kill it because it can't survive. Oh <laughs> like goodness. you can't just move it and, and implant it somewhere else. So that was a bit of a wake up call. And then, and then, you know, followed 10 days in the hospital of different procedures. And I'll, I'll spare you the details, but I ended up having two surgeries because there was a, the diagnostic was, was not correct when they did, redid it at the hospital because they didn't take into consideration the, the previous medical, um, record from the professor at the other clinic. So long story short, I ended up having an injection to kill the pregnancy, which didn't work. And then first surgery, second surgery. And that left me in a state where I just really wanted to get pregnant because when you fail at something, which is kind of how I saw it, like this was a, a failed attempt, the only way to get past it is to succeed. And so I was very much like that. I was like, fine, we have to wait a certain amount of time because of the drugs that were given for my body to recover because it ended up being like a, like a C-section scar in the end. Um, I'll give it the time that it needs, but then let's go, you know? And uh, we realized that things weren't really happening. And after different tests, they saw maybe my tubes are not working as they should, but they weren't able to confirm anything. And I was just, I felt like emotionally, it was really hard because at every cycle, I was disappointed when I had my period and happy at the same time because I was worried of another ectopic pregnancy. Because once you have it once, you're a lot more likely to have it a second time than somebody else. Mm -hmm. Your chances just are, are increased by a lot. And eventually I convinced Matt to, to get treatment. Um, and I said, you know, if I do have a, a, a fallopian tube issue, the only treatment you can get is IVF. None of the other treatments work because they don't bypass the tubes. So IVF is the only solution. Wow. And so we did it, but this is, this is the funny thing. The hospital that we did the IVF in was a brand new hospital, brand new um, fertility department, which hadn't had all the approvals from the government to open yet. So the doctor was like, you're lined up, you're a good candidate, you're young. As soon as the, as the department opens, you can come. And then the department opened a week later, he called me and said, do you want to do it? I said, okay, let's do it. So we started the, the treatment and then we did the embryo transfer. And a week later, something like that, a week or two later, COVID started and all the hospitals closed and the IVF department closed again. And so I was lucky enough to get into that small, like two week window. Wow. To, well, it was a, a month. Uh, the whole process was a month, but their department was only open for about a month, a month and a half. And then they closed again. Wow. And so I was the only one who had a successful birth in 2020 from that hospital. I was the first and only. Wow. <laughs> so when they see me go there, they're, they're always like, oh, our first IVF baby. They're very sweet. Um, so, so it was, it was good. And I mean, I assume, sorry to interrupt. Um, it took first time. Yes. So we were so lucky with that because some couples, they go for 18 rounds before, you know, some, I mean, it's very persistent. 
I guess for me with everything, it was just such a blessing to at least be pregnant during COVID because I didn't really care what was happening on the outside. Okay. So much was going on inside that it was okay to be with my parents and it was okay mm-hmm. to just be more at home and more just um, focused internally. So did you so- have, um, so earlier when I said, you know, I was going to ask you if it was planned and, you know, you <laughs> said, oh yeah, it was a bit too planned. Had you thought right now I'm ready for a baby or I want a baby or how was that sort of? process was it a process no I mean I just thought eventually I'd like kids eventually when I stopped my pill it was really just because I had taken it for so long I was sick of being on on hormones and Mm -hmm. I just thought if it takes a long time which sometimes it does I don't want to be that woman stressing about wanting to be pregnant which I ended up being um but I didn't really want a baby I wasn't thinking about it at that time and then it just happened and it's really the the fact of having an ectopic and even if it's for one day or for one week you still get excited it's like oh you're pregnant and at first i was like oh that was a bit early but okay yay you know and it's stupid but i think i bought like a little track pants baby track pants um when i found out i was pregnant and that like sat in my cupboard for ages because obviously like of everything that happened afterwards mm-hmm. and i was it's like, oh, and then I became the crazy, like obsessed woman that just wants to be pregnant with whom I never wanted to be in the first place. So that, that's, life is so ironic, but, but I was just so lucky that the whole process went smoothly because it doesn't always go that way. And now, like, for example, I've, we decided in February, last February that we would probably want more kids. And I do have some frozen embryos in Qatar. So I've been back twice already, but both times failed. And so some doctors say that out of every full round, which includes um, the hormone stimulation, the egg collection, the fertilization of the eggs, and then the transfer, you only get one birth. So even if they are able to collect five or 10 eggs and fertilize them, usually out of a full cycle, you only get one live birth. And I had mine with James. So none of the other embryos worked. So sorry for my ignorance. I just, I'm, I'm not well-versed in IVF. When you realize that um, you'd had the ectopic pregnancy, mm-hmm. you went for IVF and then simultaneously decided to freeze The IVF process includes overstimulation of your body so that you produce more than one egg. Normally on the natural cycle, you produce one egg. Sometimes women produce two, and that's how you end up with twins. So here they they have you on, on a lot of hormones and usually injections that will stimulate your body and your ovaries so much that you produce a lot of eggs. And then they collect the eggs and that's a a medical procedure under anesthesia. Mm -hmm. They collect all the eggs. You might, I mean, they try to get at least 10 or above, depending on your age and a lot of different things, how your body responds, you might not be able to get that many or you might have more. And then they um, fertilize the eggs by using the semen Mm -hmm. from your donor, husband in my case. (laughs) Uh, They fertilize the eggs and put them in a machine um, that will grow them. And when they're at day three or day five, it depends on, on the different methods, um, they will transfer them in your body. And usually they do one if you're below 35. If you're above 35, they'll put two embryos back. And the rest, they freeze. If it's not too personal, can I ask mm-hmm. how many you froze? So w- from memory, they collected 14 or 15 eggs. Mm-hmm. 
only seven of them were able to be fertilized. So they don't all fertilize. Some yeah, of them yeah, just yeah. don't fertilize. Seven were fertilized. And I think five, yes, it was five, made it to a day five embryo. Okay. And, and that, so, they freeze them at that stage. Yeah. So one was, was transferred mm -hmm. directly and the other, the remaining four were frozen. Okay. And they can be frozen for years and years and years without impacting their quality. That's really interesting. So that's why, you know, for women that are older, which tends to be the case in our, like in today's mm -hmm. society, you know, women that don't have children young and they wait, they do say, if you can freeze your eggs, do it because that way you're sure, even if you, you enter pre-menopause, you're not going to have issues with the quality of your eggs. You will have them frozen already, and then they can be fertilized at a later stage with whatever partner you have in yeah. life. This is maybe a really stupid question, but <laughs> anyone, like I could just go and get my eggs yeah. frozen. Mm -hmm. Interesting, because I would like more than one, but mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm quite ready yet. But I'm, yes. you know, reaching an age where, unfortunately yeah. for women, we have a clock. Um, yeah. And it depends. Like, of course, like some women will reach 40 and still be okay and have a, a biological age that's younger and not have any issues with the quality of their eggs or of the thickening of the endometrium. I'm so sorry if this is really medical, but... No, I'm so interested. Are you kidding? This, but this is so interesting. Like, I didn't know this. Because, and that's why, like, you know, I've been holding back so much. Actually, nobody knew that James was an IVF baby until the summer. Wow. Nobody, apart from a few close friends in Qatar, who had gone, some of them, through similar um, stories and IVF. And so that was my support network. But I didn't feel like I needed to reach out to family and friends in Belgium to tell about what I, what I was going through because they wouldn't have had any... Um, they would have had comforting words maybe, but more so, I guess, pity, which I didn't want. Mm. I wanted like constructive feedback and I wanted people who had gone through similar experiences or who at least were there like physically to be like, okay, I don't know, let's go have an ice cream or let's go have a drink. All the drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not really supposed to be drinking, but <laughs> I, I definitely had a glass of wine in pregnancy. <laughs> Baby's <Sometimes>. fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So now I forget what we were talking about, but, um, no. you can definitely, you can definitely freeze your eggs at any stage in life, as long as you're still producing eggs. And that's the whole point because, you know, you kind of need to, to do it soon enough so that the younger you are essentially the better quality eggs and the more you will have because your body's still young and mm -hmm. so it's still functioning well. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. I see, as, we, as soon as we finish talking, I'm going to be on Google, like <laughs> freeze my eggs. <laughs> and you know, actually, so this is where I was getting at. I didn't speak about this to to my friends in Belgium or to anybody too close, it's always easier yeah. to speak with strangers anyway, I mm -hmm. feel, with, you know, things that are close to heart. But I spoke to some good friends in Doha and I spoke to some of my friends later. As time goes by, I kind of talk about it more because the emotion is removed from it and now it just becomes a more matter of fact mm -hmm. story and people go through so many different things. But my friends did tell me, I'm, we're so grateful that you're explaining this to us because we had no idea and we didn't even know this was an option. And so one of my friends who's 32 and single, she's going to go back 
to her home country and freeze her eggs this year. And she's like, it's just, I don't have a partner, but I know I want kids one day. So you do it and then they're frozen wherever you want in whichever hospital you get them frozen in and you pay a yearly fee um, to keep them there. I definitely want at least another one. I just, I feel even for James, it would be so much fun. Like he's got, he loves other kids and being mm -hmm. with other children so much. But also for me, like, let's not kid ourselves. It's not just for him to have a sibling. It's no. also for me to have the whole experience again. Yeah. I'm still, you know, crossing my fingers that maybe it can happen naturally, which kind of cuts all the admin bullshit and the stress because it is a stressful procedure. And they will all tell you, stop stressing if you want to fall pregnant. But if you're trying to fall pregnant, like, how do you remove the stress involved with you know, once it's there, it's very difficult to remove. Yeah, it's a bit like when you first arrive home with the baby and, you know, you're so hormonal and there's just so much happening and stress and anxiety. You don't know what to do with this <laughs> this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and people just say, oh, just relax, just enjoy it. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, enjoy what? Like waking up 10 times a night? No, thank you. <laughs> You but, take it then. Yeah, yeah. But then you look back and you think, oh, that was so blissful. <laughs> yeah, a little bundle of joy. Oh. But I think every stage has its difficulties. And I remember, you know, you, sometimes you, you'll hear a lot of things that don't stick and then you'll hear some things that just stay with you. And at some stage throughout my pregnancy journey, I remember hearing you need to take care of the mother to be able to take care of the child. So you as a mom, you need to take these, these times for yourself. And if your baby is screaming for 10 minutes in the cot, well, that's just going to have to happen. But you need time to be able to take a shower and do your makeup or do whatever routine you need to do. Even if it's just to have a bath or if it's just, I don't know, to paint your nails. But at some stage, you're going to need to to be healthy mentally and to take those little pauses to be able to take good care of your child. If you're not able to take care of yourself, you can't take care of your child. And that's how I justified sometimes just not caring for him for 10, 15 minutes and being like, well, you're just going to be in your little cot. I see what you're doing, but I'm going to go have a shower and I'm going to get dressed and I'm going to take my time to do that because otherwise it's just, I mean, I can't take the shower with you on my boob. Like it's just not happening. <laughs> I really, I really resonate with that. My one thing in the morning is I often get woken up by Isla. It's very rare that I wake up first and she's crying. I will always brush my teeth first always even before entering the bedroom it doesn't matter i do feel guilt admitting that i let her scream and cry but mm -hmm. i'm sorry for me it's just something i have to do i i just can't i can't start my day without brushing my teeth i need a clean mouth <laughs> and it's it's so important to have your little rituals and i remember i was at a dinner at a friend's place and she had invited other friends whom we don't know but they have a, a son the same age as james and she was telling me oh yeah in the morning you know I'll wake up with, I forget his name, let's say Arthur. And then when he wakes me up crying, you know, I go get dressed, I, I do my hair and then I go pick him up. I give him a bottle and she's telling me her day. And I, I paused and I was like, she gets dressed before she takes care of him. And I'm, I was like, of course she does because she's got to go to work after. So she needs to make sure that she can do her makeup and hair and be dressed before she starts taking care of her child. Otherwise, next thing you know, it's 9 a.m. and you're still in pajamas. <laughs> so it's like, 
this is what I need to start doing. Yeah. Before it, I even pick him up from his bed, I need to dress myself, shower or do whatever I need to do. And maybe that involves waking up earlier, or maybe that just involves letting him cry for 20 minutes. It's so true, especially because... I mean, I actually spoke about this. I recorded a podcast, just me, but I spoke a lot about this, that as moms, we come second. Mm -hmm. We come second uh, to our partner now, you know, to ourselves because we have to take care of the baby. And so these little tiny things that we can do just to put ourselves first for one minute, two minutes, mm -hmm. they, they really make a difference so that we are able to put ourselves second because we do have to be second 99% of the time. Yeah. And I think it links to that fact of, you know, keeping your sanity and your independence as a person and as a woman. And I think for us, it's been particularly hard with the whole like living with the parent situation. But I really felt like I wasn't married to the same person anymore because we both changed. And there were the medical conditions as well that, you know, made everything harder. But I, I don't think it's just that. I think it's the baby. It's, it's the living situation. But now that we're back in our house, even just that, like, I just, I just feel like, okay, I'm, I'm going back to being the person who I was before having James little by little and seeing that Matt is still like the same partner and I can still be in love with him and we can still have like intimate moments and stuff like that. Um, it's so hard. It's work and it, it, yeah. It's so hard because I mean, oh my God, having a baby, it puts a lot mm -hmm. of pressure on a relationship. Mm -hmm. That's why I have a good friend here. She's been with her partner for over 10 years and they were supposed to get married and that didn't happen. But they, he really wants a child. But their relationship is already quite difficult at the moment. They're already a little bit like shaky. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always like, I understand that you want, you know, to kind of consolidate the family unit by having a child together. But if, you're, don't, if you don't have a strong foundation to start with, this is just going to be what breaks you because you need to be so strong as a couple to add the care of another human. It's just, you need to be able to rely on each other hundred percent. You need to be able to sacrifice your own time and your own things, not for your partner, but for your child. And it just adds, it adds so much pressure to the couple at least in the beginning while you adjust, but I think every age is going to have its own struggles. Like when it's a newborn baby, it's the lack of sleep and the constant neediness of a little one. Mm -hmm. And as they grow, it's going to be different things. Mm -hmm. You know, now I learn with James, it's just learning to be, to, to discipline in the right way, like not, not yelling, but sometimes my, like I yell at him because he'll do everything he can to annoy me. I swear they do it on purpose. And now the, his new thing that he started doing is I'll yell like, James, like, that's enough. Stop doing that. I told you five times already. And then he'll go Rah! and just lose it. And I'm like, oh, he's mirroring me. Like he's just screaming because he hears that when I get upset, I scream. And so he's upset because he doesn't want to do what I'm telling him. And so he is now just rah, letting it all out. <laughs> and so every age is going to have his, their own struggles, but you need to have such a strong foundation before you, you dive into having a child. Yeah. Um, it is, it's... <laughs> or two or three, I guess it doesn't necessarily help having many. No, but I do think the biggest shock, well, I hope the biggest shock <laughs> is the first one. <laughs> 
what I think, right? Because from like an independent couple, you, you start becoming like tied down in a way. And that's, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of positive things too, but you're tied down a little bit more than if you didn't have a child. But then I hear a lot of friends saying, no, one was easy. The big difference is when you have two, because then you're like, you have to juggle all the time. And you know, when you have one, like it's always easy enough finding somebody to look after him or her. But when you have two, you need to have someone who's willing to look after two, or you need to find two separate people that will look after your children. Mm -hmm. And then my friend who had three in a row, she's a bit of a crazy one. She had, um, a child per year for three years. Wow. And um, she told me the biggest struggle for me was going from two to three because I only have two hands. Yeah. So I could do, I could hold two, you know, I could like feed one while holding one. But once I had a third one, like, how could I even just physically grab it? You know, mm -hmm. just like, for mm -hmm. me, that was really the worst. And you think you would like another soon? Yes, I, I do. I think both Matt and I come from big-ish families so for me i definitely would like to have more yeah exciting. and we'll see you know how how we get there if it's through ivf or if naturally eventually works but I'll, I'll continue being persistent did you know you were gonna have a boy when you had james i did but it took a while longer to find out i think because of the timing so in doha they weren't sure um, so they wouldn't tell me until they were sure. And then my, my next scan where they were able to tell me was much later in Belgium. So I did find out, but only later. Mm. And in the beginning of the pregnancy, I was sure I was having a girl. <laughs> and then eventually, um, just, I think it was around 13 weeks, 13, 14 weeks. Like, you know, when the whole placenta is formed uh -huh. and, and technically like different hormones start kicking in. That's when I was like, mm, I'm not so sure about a girl anymore. Actually, I think it's going to be a boy. And then a couple of weeks later, I found out it was a boy. But I mean, there's only 50% chance of you being right anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I had a similar thing at the beginning. I was so certain I was having a boy. And then I don't remember what changed. I think one day I just woke up and I was like, oh, she's a girl. I was yeah. so, so certain. I just mm -hmm. knew. I, I can't explain it. I knew that she was a girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it's intuition. I don't know if you talk about it a lot in your pregnancy classes, but... Um, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I think it's important for all women, but also like, especially women through pregnancy who go through such a crazy transition physically and emotionally. And obviously you see the physical aspect, but you don't see all the emotional mm -hmm. side, which is even crazier than yeah. the physical aspect in a way. I, I just think it's important for them to, to know that it's okay to have all these different feelings and that they can kind of trust what they, what they feel deep down. Like trust if you're able to really listen like deep down to your heart and to your intuition usually you do know what's best or you do have you know feelings about things mm -hmm. i 100 percent agree learning to just trust your instinct trust your gut mm -hmm. uh because we doubt ourselves so much but mm -hmm. i think this is where because for me mentally i've taken much more of a hit since having a baby Mm -hmm. and yeah, I follow your, your stories yeah and... meditation meditation is now where mm -hmm. my practice goes and I really think if we can learn as moms to just find a couple moments of quiet to tap mm -hmm. into that intuition mm -hmm. to block out all the noise because anxiety doubt it's just chit chat in the background mm -hmm. if we can I understand that we don't have time it's so hard to make time but it is essential 
you know, for well-being to make that time, just five minutes even, because if we're able to tap into everything beneath the surface of the skin, beneath the noise, I think we really, we do know. It's not for everyone in the sense that everybody is a bit, everyone's at a different stage in their like reflection and self-reflection. And so I had a, this is not related to pregnancy, but to yoga and to meditation. I had a student who came to one of my classes for the first time after the class, she was like, well, that was really not for me. <laughs> I, was, I was laughing. And I said, well, you know, I'm just glad that you came and that you saw a form of yoga that is dynamic because it definitely is because I find that people here, most people have not had um, yoga classes before or they don't have much knowledge about it. So it's easier to access anything through like a physical practice. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then we do the breathing and the meditation, but mm -hmm. we keep it light on the, on the meditation aspect because otherwise they disconnect completely. I agree. It takes a certain level of discipline to get there. And if you're, if you don't practice at all, or if you're not somebody who's already into that, it's difficult to get there mm -hmm. on your own at, on a first class once a week. Mm -hmm. She was still like, I just can't like the entire time my brain was going everywhere and I was thinking, what time is it? And so I think it's great for, for people like us who have had a bit of an introduction mm -hmm. because we know the value of it, mm -hmm. but for people who have never even just sat down and who don't know what meditation is, mm -hmm. it takes effort mm -hmm. in the beginning to be able to sit mm -hmm. and essentially like do nothing and bring your thoughts back to, mm -hmm. to the now. You may already know this, so apologies if you do, but our brain is in a position that it can rewire itself. So if mm -hmm. we do something different a few times, we build a circuit within the brain. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people think, oh, meditation's not for me. I'm not good. I can't do it. And they also think they're not good because their mind wanders off in thought. And people think that meditation means that you just have to be like still and quiet. But actually bringing your thoughts back, that is, is the meditation. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that they go off in thought is actually okay because mm -hmm. bringing them back builds yeah. that neural pathway of focus, of concentration, mm -hmm. you know. I think I had heard that concept um, explained in the Waking Up app with Sam Harris at some point. He was talking about how meditation is not being concentrated for an hour. I mean, it can be, but it's also the simple fact of realizing that your thoughts have wandered and bringing them back, like yeah. you said. Yeah. And, um, and I, I did hear recently as well about the fact that you can kind of break your thought pattern because they were talking about how they're doing these experimental treatments on mushrooms and hallucinogenic mushrooms for people that have depression. And so it's only in the trial phase, obviously, but it would be a one-time treatment that you take in a clinical setting, obviously, where, where you're observed and monitored and they can see the direct impact on your brain by doing a, a scan afterwards. And it just allows you to kind of wipe out and have a clean slate to start on. So you're not stuck in these same thought patterns, wow. like, oh, like it's raining. Look at how gloomy it is. Mm. You know, my kitchen's shit. Yeah, but that's because my life is shit and I hate my job and I don't earn enough money. And you, you get into these things. And so that apparently um, hallucinogenic mushroom treatment would be a way to avoid a medical treatment, like a lifelong medical yeah. treatment where you constantly need adjustment. Yeah. 
That's, in, that's interesting. Uh, I also, um, I learned recent, recently, I did a little foundation course in neurology and there's actually, we're getting way off track here, but that's okay. I find, <laughs> it, I find this so interesting. <laughs> um, there's actually, so the brain's main job is to keep us alive, right? And the brain, well, a part of the brain is logical. So the, you know, the brain wants answers. So when we ask ourselves questions like, oh, why am I so shit? Why am I not good at this? The brain will actually, unfortunately, give you an answer, which unfortunately validates why exactly the reasoning. And I found that really interesting. And, you know, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't have the qualification nor the real tools to suggest how to get out of that programming. But I did find it interesting that actually when we ask ourselves these questions, the brain will give you an answer. So I know Mm -hmm. it's not as easy as thinking positively, not in the slightest. And I'm not suggesting that it is as easy as that. I know firsthand that it's not. But if perhaps we're, you know, on a level where we're in a position to rephrase the question, not so (laughs) negatively, the brain is in a position to answer those questions, you know, in a more positive way as well. Yeah. Did you have any postpartum, you know, baby blues or postpartum depression? I I felt the the hormone drop on day three. Definitely, like really strongly. I was very happy that we were in still like in kind of lockdown COVID where we couldn't have any visitors. Even my parents couldn't come. I just needed to be like in my little bubble and I felt so overwhelmed already just on my own with Matt and the baby and, you know, midwives coming in all the time. I felt like it was very nice not to have any family members and friends mm-hmm. kind of intrude in that bubble. Um, and because I knew we were going to go back to living with my family anyway, I would see them enough. So that was, that was my experience, but I definitely felt on day three that like it was the end of the world, depending on the midwives you get. I think I feel they're so forceful sometimes, or they, they're really set in their ways. So they made me like pump and pump and pump because they were telling me I didn't have enough milk and that my baby lost too much weight, but I had a really fat baby, like He was really chubby at birth. So obviously, like, if he lost 10% of his body weight, it wasn't a big deal. He was not, he was not, clearly not starving. But that's in the books, you know, if they lose more than 10%, then it means they're not eating. And then, so they gave me a bit of pressure for the breastfeeding. So I was pumping a lot. And, And on day three, I just remember getting in the shower. I still looked pregnant, even though I wasn't anymore. My boobs were killing me, but I couldn't breastfeed properly. And then Matt comes back. He wasn't sleeping um, in the hospital overnight. And when he came in the morning around 7 a.m., he goes, so I have something to tell you. And I was like, yes, what? And I'm like, not sleeping because James was under the, the lights, the UV lights. And he's like, um, I backed up with our car in your brother's car. And I was like, no way. I was like, you're joking. And he's like, no, I'm not. And I was like, you're joking. And I just started <laughs> crying. And I went into the bathroom and I was like, how is it possible that I just gave birth in this idiot car? <laughs> and it was like the end of the world. And he was just in the room like, oh, what do I do? What did I do? And oh my gosh. 
I was like, out of all days, why yeah, yeah. did you choose to do this? <laughs> and then thinking back later, I was like, oh my gosh, I was such a mess. Like, I don't think I would have reacted the same way any other day. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> but that day, the lack of sleep, like all night peeking to make sure his little glasses weren't moved from his eyes. And it was really sad because he was just, you know, all fresh and new. And he was naked in this little box, just with a, a little diaper under the UV lights. And he would rub his eyes. And so the little glasses would go up and I was freaked out that his eye was, eyes would get damaged by the UV light. So I wasn't sleeping. So I was literally like eyes open with toothpicks to make sure, <laughs> to make sure he wasn't moving his little glasses. Oh my goodness, um, little baby, bless him. Yeah. I kept those little glasses, by the way. I found them the other day. I was like, oh my gosh, he was so tiny. Wow. So small. But, and I guess this is the thing that people say and mean to say when they tell you, enjoy it, is that they know, I mean, if they've had kids, they know how fast it goes and it, and it really does. And if you, if you don't enjoy the moment and you see, if you don't see the positive side, then, then you, you come back to it years later and think, fuck, like I really didn't enjoy it as I, as I could, because I was, you know, not in the moment, but I try to be. So I think most comments that people will tell you come from a good place. It's just, they're not always welcome, obviously. Yeah. And, and sometimes they're a little bit, I mean, yeah, they're, they're sometimes uncalled for and a bit clumsy, but I think most people who do say things to you, they mean well. And that's, I guess, what you have to remember. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think also when I think about it, I feel like sometimes no matter what anyone says to me, it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to admit it. You know, you could say it's shit and I'll be like, well, that's a bit negative. How is that helping me? Yeah. And then if you mm -hmm. tell me, oh, you know, it's good. Come on. I'm like, no, it's fucking not. It's shit. <laughs> and I think it's also Matt sometimes laughs and he's like, I think this is a man's approach. When I go on a, on a rant about whatever is going well or not going well, and, and I tell him about it and usually, obviously it's not going well when it's talking to him and going on and on. <laughs> And he tries to find a solution to it. And I'm just like, and he's like, well, do you want me to find a solution or just listen? I'm like, just listen. <laughs> I don't want you to tell me do this or do that. I just want you to listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. Some people will try to solve your problems. Yeah. And nobody can solve your problems no. apart from yourself. Yeah. So when, you, when you're telling somebody close about your problems, you just want them to listen and like support by hearing you, not by giving you advice on how to fix it. And I think to full circle, this is why we're here. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to give a place for women to feel heard and for other women to listen and resonate and, you know, mm -hmm. know that they're not alone because I know I felt lonely mm -hmm. and I don't know why actually, because when you think about it, you know that, I don't know, do you feel like when you speak to another mom, there's some sort of like understanding, you have a baby, I have a baby, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. I, I, like once I had a child, I started looking, I started thinking about all the people I know who had children and young children and I was like, <gasps> their life was so different. And I had no idea. I was like, I had no idea. I just thought you add a little human and you continue doing your things. No, you obviously 
you try to integrate and adapt as much as you can. And, and hopefully you don't change everything about yourself in your life, but you can't pretend that you don't change anything and that mm -hmm. the baby just integrates flawlessly. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't really happen that way. I think you build it and you learn to find a, a balance, but, but yeah, I definitely had a, a renewed sense of, um, of, of pride for other people that had children and that had gone through the process. Yeah, 100%. Like, oh, they've had kids. They've yeah. had kids and they're still okay. Look at them now. <laughs> yeah. I remember speaking to my mom one day and just being like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for everything I did. <laughs> But I do feel like sometimes I'm part of this secret club, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you know what's going on. Well, like you have a, you know, a child under three and you know that, you know. You know that there's, there's no judgment. No, no, matter, no. no matter what you're doing, I fully support you. <laughs> yeah. You do what you think is best to just get by, you know. And if you have to put them in front of an iPad for half an hour, well... Oh. I just do it <laughs> half an hour an hour the whole day whatever <laughs> um what do you think has been your biggest lesson or obstacle or challenge or um like how specific I, do you want I will take the specifics yeah mm -hmm. I think there's one there's my biggest challenge has been kind of juggling all relationships now that I'm a mom with my own family, you know, how to, how to manage everybody's expectations and how to manage your change of position because everybody's position changes. My parents become grandparents mm. for the first time, aggravated by the fact that James is the first grandchild and actually the first one in our entire family, even with all my cousins, nobody has a child yet. So he's really the, the little king. And that's another thing, like, I want to spoil him. I love him so much. I know there's only, it's now that he's two and, and that's it. And then it's going to be, it's going to be like that at every age. I'm going to be like, he's only going to be two once. Like he's only got a year. So I spoil him a lot and, and I feel maybe I spoil him a bit too much and I should stop, you know, getting him all these presents mm -hmm. and stuff. So maybe that's one like specific is, is spoiling him. And another thing I feel a bit guilty about is like little incidents that could be, that could be avoided, you know, that happened when he was just a bit over one. I was on the toilet. Everybody needs to go. And I was on my own with him. <laughs> so I just let him go because the, our toilet door in my parents' room didn't have, it didn't have a door. It was the, it was like a bathroom mm -hmm. open to this little hallway. And so I could hear him play in the little hallway and then I heard him fall and just scream. And it was a scream that it was just too strong to be just a little fall over. And when I finally managed to like pull my pants up and run to him, I couldn't see anything because the blinds were down and he had knocked his tooth out, his brand new tooth. And so he hit the side of the bed so hard by falling and he had stuff in his hands so he couldn't catch himself. And he walked very early on. So he was already running around by then. But he, he fell so hard, he knocked it out. And I, because the blinds were still down, I didn't see the tooth was knocked out. I took him back to the bathroom. I saw blood, but he wouldn't let me like clearly see what happened mm -hmm. in his mouth. So at first I thought it was the lip, just the lip that was bleeding a lot. Then eventually when he calmed down, I saw that the gum had been touched a bit, but I still didn't see how bad it was. Mm -hmm. I had an appointment. So I just popped him in the car. I didn't bring him to his daycare. 
just to check on him. He ate a banana in the car. Mm -hmm. And only when I dropped him off at his daycare, after calling the pediatrician and him telling me, okay, if it's trauma in the mouth, there's not much you can do. If he feels, if he looks like he's mm -hmm. feeling fine, bring him to daycare. And it's only when I brought him and said, show me your mouth, show what happened. You have a little boob on your mouth that he opened his mouth and I saw a tooth was missing. And I was like, oh my gosh, how can you, how can that happen? <laughs> so... Then I, I went home and found the tooth eventually with the root and everything. Wow. And it was too late to put it back. And all dentists told me, even if you had found it, there's nothing you can do with baby teeth. You don't stick them back up because you might damage the mm -hmm. adult tooth. But I still felt bad, especially because the pediatrician told me, actually, I've had parents who have just stuck the tooth back up mm -hmm. and it just sets again. Mm -hmm. So that's one particular incident wow. that I really regret. And I think they're bound to happen again, like moments of you can't be like full on attention 100% of the time, especially when you're alone. And you have to let your kids breathe a little bit too. And I do know that they, they, they discover so much through fall and they understand like where the limits are through that. But for me, like I dreamed of it for a long time. I just First thought in the morning and last thought at night was that tooth mm. and that fall that definitely could have been avoided because I know if I had been next to him, I would have seen he had stuff in his hands and tripped mm -hmm. because there was a carpet, there was the bed. And mm. I'm just like, that's so silly because now until he's eight years old, he's not going to have a front tooth. <laughs> so, so that's one specific thing that I regret. And I think there's going to be more, sure there's going to be more, but the joys of parenting. Yeah. And of course my husband, like as a joke, but it still hurts. You know, in the beginning when he started taking care of him on his own, like when I went for IVF in Qatar last month, I was gone five days and I said, are you gonna be okay five days with him? And he's like, I'm pretty sure that he won't lose a tooth. <laughs> or I come back and I'm like, oh my gosh, is everything okay? Are you okay? And he's like, well, he still got his teeth, you know, like things. But it's becoming a bit of a family joke still. <laughs> What about you? Um, uh, me, I think for me, my biggest challenge or struggle is, um, and I, I have spoken about this in you know other episodes, but um, the resentment that I can feel towards my partner about the fact that I don't feel like his life has changed as much as my life has changed. He goes to work as normal and of course his life has changed as well but I don't think it's comparable to to what I've gone through uh physically mentally emotionally and yeah dealing with that resentment um so that it doesn't affect us is is a struggle mm -hmm. uh day to day yeah feeling like I have I I want a career but, oh my gosh, I but, feel like we're on, on the same wavelength. <laughs> but what, like, what the, what the fuck do you, like, how, how, how? And the day-to-day -day dealing with that um, is, is something that I deal with day-to-day. -day, and I think that's my biggest, my biggest challenge. I mean, I, yeah, it's a big one. And it, I see my, I guess it is, it resonates a lot with me as well. And I wrote it down because I would like a career. It doesn't necessarily mean being employed full time and working for somebody, but it means having like a professional life and actually being a, a person. Like I think for me, if I think of a, su a successful person or a successful woman, it's a person who can manage work 
and childcare or work and, and family life. And um, I struggle with putting James in, in daycare a couple of days a week without having a career established. Um, me but, too. And I think you have to at some 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 time. You can't have the child all the time. Otherwise, you don't even have the brain space to think about your project mm -hmm. that you want to mm -hmm. build up. And for me, the project in the beginning was the house, and now it's shifting, and it's going to have to be shifted towards me and building a profession, whatever it is. Mm. But it's important, I think. Otherwise, that resentment will keep going. But but I think for me, I, I manage not to resent Matt because I know that it's it's my choice. I think if I told him, you're going to be a stay-at-home dad because I need to focus on my career and I'll bring home the dough, mm -hmm. he'll say, okay. Um, so, yes, I agree with that uh, because we're in a similar situation. I think George would very happily as well be at home. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to assume it's the same in your case that the reason it's not like this is because in our situation, George makes more money. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, I couldn't. Right now, if he stopped working, like, what, what, I don't know what we would do financially. Um, exactly. And I think for me, so this is where I struggle. This is where um, I don't actively resent him because I know that, you know, he doesn't put it on me. He doesn't tell me, you, yeah. you stay at home. Well, and if he did, we wouldn't be together. <laughs> um, but what's difficult is what do I do with that anger and frustration, you know? Um, and unfortunately it has to go somewhere and I'm only human. And sometimes it does go to him and I know that it's, it shouldn't go to him, but I have these feelings of frustration of, you know, lack of sense of purpose, I guess, because I have the exact same. So it's quite refreshing that you mention it. You know, I think for me, the idea of career and success um, can mean a million things. Um, but for me, I think is feeling that I don't want to put success in terms of monetary value. However, one of my personal goals is I would like to be in a position where my career brings me enough financially that if anything were to happen in my relationship, I would be in a, I would be in a position to be by myself, take care of my mm -hmm. baby, pay for my house, pay for my bills, and I'm not in a situation. I'm not in that situation right now. Yeah. And I think it's the struggle of our generation as well, and I unless you have a career that's very well established before you have a baby and you stop working for 3 months, you know, basically deliver, breastfeed a little bit and then hand over your baby and go back to work you're not going to be in a position where you can, you know, I mean, maybe if you, some people are, but most people aren't. And it's the same for me, like in order to reach a personal satisfaction, like yeah, pat on the back, I've done well. Like I, I need to feel like I can survive on my own. If something were to happen to Matt, you know, whether it's that we, we don't want to be together or that something actually happens mm -hmm. to him, mm -hmm. I want to be like independent. I want to be able to say, no, like I've got it covered as well. And it's amazing if both do, mm -hmm. but you know, as, as a, as a person, it's so important to feel like you're fulfilled, like you do something you love. Yes. But that if something were ever to happen, you've got your own back yeah. as well. You yeah. do, you're not dependent on somebody else. And that's something from our generation because, well, maybe also our parents a little bit, but I come from a family where my grandma was not allowed to work mm. and she never worked. Mm -hmm. And my mom worked a little bit when we were young and then she stopped working because she was a flight attendant. And my dad worked his ass off and managed 
to, you know, create um, enough money for everybody. And then she stopped working with the three kids and never worked again. So I've got examples in my family of women who don't work. And I don't want that, not because I don't think it's comfortable. Like it's nice to be able to be more present at home, but because I feel it's not enough for me. I feel like I, I want to contribute in a different way to society, to, to feel good about myself and to, to bring something more to the table. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a modern problem. And I think in a way it's a first world problem as well. Um, I agree. I agree it's a modern and first world problem, but we live in a modern and first world society. Yes. So I find that sometimes, you know, when we say, oh, it's a first world problem, it means, you know, it's a first world problem. You know, why are you worrying about that? But mm -hmm. we live in a modern and first world society. And I can, you know, I'm, I speak for myself. It, it's a lot. That, that desire and feeling like I want to do X, Y, Z, but I don't have the time or the capacity. Uh, it is tough. Mm -hmm. It feels like you're just like uh, in life. And, and you're a bit like stuck in your box, but you're not because you're doing these, this podcast and you're, you're actively trying to build something and that, you know, it's funny that you mentioned these things because I can see through your stories that there are some struggles and you, you speak about some of them and you share some of them, but I can see that there's so much potential for growth that you're actually acting on, acting upon. That's good. And it's a step where I'm not exactly at yet, mm -hmm. <laughs> like I'm going to start. So I think if you do something about it, that's the first step to, to feeling better. Yeah. And when I say it's a first world problem, I guess maybe it is my brain finding a solution for me, you know, like, and, and giving me a reason to think, okay, like, yes, there are things that give you, um, think that make you think every day and, and they're heavy. They definitely are heavy psychologically and mentally, emotionally, mm -hmm. but also I do want to remember that I'm in a good place. Like I really am in a good place compared to a lot of people. It doesn't mean that my feelings are not, yeah. um, you know, don't count uh -huh. Uh -huh. and that I don't need to actually do something and act to be better and to be the best version of myself and, and feel fulfilled. But it puts matters back into perspective on like a, a grand scheme of things to think like, imagine what you have compared to other people. Find a little bit of gratitude in what you already have and work towards what you don't have and, and the problems that you have, but don't feel like dragged down so much. Um, no, and I really, I do agree with that because actually um, for a bit of time, I struggled quite badly with postpartum depression mm -hmm. and I'm 100% convinced that what got me out is because one day, I can't remember, George was like, oh, tell me one good thing about today. And I was like, I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> And then he was like, you must have something. And then I really had to dig deep to find my sort of mindfulness teacher, the mindfulness teacher inside of me. I had to dig deep to find her. And I was like, okay, I'm going to find one good thing. And I got my journal and I wrote it. And then the next day I got my journal and I wrote two things. And the day after that, I decided to write three things. And then mm -hmm. slowly, slowly life was good. Yeah. You know, and that's, we touched on it earlier about like rewiring your brain. And I just think some people are just eternally optimistic and some are just really negative. You put them in the same exact situation, give them the same exact day. And you'll have one person who's very happy at the end of the day and will remember all the good things and someone who will just remember the bad mm -hmm. things. 
And I, I tend to sometimes focus on the bad things a little bit because I want things to be perfect. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. I don't even really realize that I'm focusing on the negative in my head. I just similarly, I'm like, no, but that's okay. So I don't need to talk about it. Let's, yeah. let's, you know, what, what can we do better? That's the thing. It's yeah, always, yeah. always, how can we improve? Mm -hmm. So you're, you are making like, little steps to go back to work for yourself mm, i'm gonna it. try to develop more the prenatal postnatal so i'm i'm going to um start a postnatal class i wanted to build a network of pregnant women who gave birth and then include them back into like welcome yeah, yeah, them back yeah. into society through the postnatal yeah, class nice. so now i've got about five moms that gave birth i i started teaching in april the prenatal mm -hmm. so i've got five or six moms all of them seem interested in the mm. baby and me classes so the classes the postnatal would be with their babies yeah, yeah, i don't yeah. know mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so i'll probably need to chat to you about that yeah feel free you know i've got the theory mm -hmm. a little bit mm -hmm. we didn't focus too much on it but i've got zero practice mm -hmm. on that i've never even been to a mommy and baby um, class, so my, if I may be so bold as to give you one suggestion now, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. the limit is six months old for the baby. Yes. So maximum six months. Because mm -hmm. once they start moving, yeah, it's crazy. there's, there's no class. <laughs> yes. it, the parents are just running around after the child. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if there was anything else you wanted to... Um, uh, no, I will... Well, firstly, is there anything else you feel like you want to share or say or... Um, I, I'm going back through my little memos here. Oh, yeah. You did mention something like what you're most ashamed of. Oh, yeah. And I would say, I would say um, maybe when I'm removed from my everyday context, like if we go away for a weekend or something like that. It's happened a couple of times. I kind of forget that I have a baby. I've lived most of my life without him. So how would that not be normal? You know, to go back to Doha and do the things I used to do before he was here, I will live my life as if he's not there when I'm not taking care of him. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I feel more guilt that I palm him off to somebody else, I guess. Um, yes. And that I'm like, you wanted him so much and now you're not taking care of yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But that's the same as the daycare situation. You want to have a child so much and then you're not taking care of him. Um, I 100% so. get that. I think especially where, and I don't know if you feel the same, where it's not like I go to work nine to five. So mm -hmm. I, I could have my baby, <laughs> but I don't want my baby. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it's weird. Yeah, yeah it's strange. Well, <laughs> speaking of your baby, you're going to go pick yours up now. Thank you so much for for chatting to us and for sharing your bits. Yeah, we will definitely have to stay in touch. Yes. Yeah. Um, Thank you for, for the chat. You're welcome. Um, I'm sending you lots of love. I hope you have a good evening with your little Thank one. You. And we'll you chat too. soon. Yes. All right. Ciao. Bye, Ciao.